WNBA Nation, welcome in. You made it. It's uh, it's another episode of your favorite WNBA podcast. I'm your host today, Logan Jones, and with me is Steve Schwartzman. Steve, say hello. Why hello there? I don't. I usually try to come with something witty to kick it. Up. I just hi. It's Monday. Um, it's it's, a, it's a Monday. It's good. We're low on wit in early February. It's it's a tough yeah. time. Yeah, it is. But it don't let don't let our lack of energy tell you that this hasn't been a scintillating time for women's sports. It's been quite no, a weekend. We got we got a big show for you today. We're going to cover some of the things that happened this weekend. Might even touch on college women's ball. We've got the time, uh, and we're going to do it efficiently enough that those of you who are joining us on the Twitch chat will have some time to jump over to the Team USA hockey game that's going to kick off here in just a minute. So, um, looking forward to that. Obviously, the Olympics, uh, Winter Olympics, are in full swing. We love that. That's fun. Um, let's go ahead and knock out the show plugs right away. And then we're going to dive into Phoenix and the LA Sparks and some of the free agency things that have happened this weekend that I know people are dying to talk yeah. about. Yeah. So if you would do the honors, Steve, can you tell people where they can find us? Absolutely. Get over on Twitter at WMEA Nation Pod. Also, get over on Facebook at WMEA Nation Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've been putting clips from these episodes over there. Great way to take in some new content. Of course, uh, one of the best ways to enjoy the program with us is to check us out live at Twitch. Uh, that's www.twitch.tv slash WNBA Nation. Um, I've been saying .com every time, and that's on me, .tv. Uh, but head up, yeah, check us out over there. Also a great way just to help support the show. Uh, your viewership and subscriptions go a long way for us. Uh, if you're looking to get a little bit of extra love and sugar, head over to our store MV page. We've got some great merch kicking out uh, over there. I know Jason is in the middle of some crazy lab scientist ideas for for merch as we squeak ever closer to our Minnesota trip for the final four. So good stuff there. Of course you can listen to the show as normal anywhere you get your podcast. If you listen anywhere such as an Apple podcast that has a rating system, we would love a five-star rating to help uh, us get well to the algorithm. And of course we always love your comments. Let us know what you love about the show. Uh, what more we could provide to make the show an even better experience for you. Those uh, comments are just they're the warmest of fuzzies. We love them very much. So there's the there's the the you know there's Plug City for you, and that's everything. That's world Excellent. in a minute. Back to you. Aha! All right, with that uh, with that all out of the way, we can go ahead and dive in. Uh, let's go right to Phoenix. I think people want to talk about the Mercury. Um, if our Twitch chat is any indication, they think, are uh... at the center of. Some of the biggest moves that that's have happened. That's a fun this one. To, yeah, that is golly. Yeah, we're we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. So the Mercury have acquired Diamond to Shields in a trade from the Chicago Sky, as well as signing Tina Charles, formerly of the Washington Mystics, uh, loading up a team that just was in the WNBA Finals last year for what feels like a one more round, and then this team is going to look very different, right? This feels like a Let's make one more run with Tarazi, Griner, and all those, uh, all those players. And then, you know, but they're doing it without coach Sandy Brondello. Instead, they're going to have a first year head coach at the helm of this super powered, you know, name heavy team. So, Steve, are you buying or selling stock in the Phoenix Mercury right now? Where do you think they finish the season? I, it's, I buy it provided. Uh, they get the starting five right, and I think that's why what, what these made these transition transactions for Phoenix very interesting is amongst every other team that's been going through their free agency. This is the team that I'm least sure how they're going to stack up their starting five, which is really interesting because there's legitimately eight players that make sense that could easily be in that position and do well. This is a team that has. A one through eight, about as strong as any roster in the league right now, depending on how you swing it. And there's some cases that make some sense where you go like, 
like Tina could easily come off the bench and contribute, but when you see what she input in Washington last season, do you reward that with starting minutes? Uh, do you bump Kia Nurse simply because of you know everything else that they've picked up? Where are you rating DeShields based on her level of inconsistency in Chicago the last couple of seasons? There's so many questions. If they get this starting five right and they're able to, to gel with it quick, Phoenix to me could could easily vibe a number one seed. Like it's it's funny because we we don't we're not talking about like buy range anymore. Like this isn't one to two gets you a buy shot. Um, but like I think they have a chance to steal that if they get it right. What I think uh, might even be more realistic to them is kind of what happened to Chicago, which was Chicago had one of the three strongest rosters in the league to start the season. Candace sat out, got hurt. They went on a losing streak. It looked like they were out of contention and then they peaked at the right moment. That might almost be better for them. I don't know, but as a long way to say, I'm going to hesitantly buy it uh, and, and take it, but I'm, but I, I I'm not going to invest too much heavily until I really get a feel that they they're confident in what their starters look like. I am going to play the other side of this coin, not just for the intrigue of this episode, but because I've been a little nervous about Phoenix ever since the Sandy Brondello departure. And I will admit that I would feel very different about this roster if Coach Brondello was still at the helm. Uh, I think they have some known commodities there that are obviously winners. Diana Trazi and Brittany Griner are going to get them into the playoffs. Tina Charles is going to get your 20 points a game one way or another. She started stepping out and hitting threes last year. I mean, this is a this is a big acquisition for any team. I think uh, Phoenix was wise to clear the space necessary to sign her, even though right off the bat, people were kind of like, how's that going to work? My concern is under a first year head coach and after kind of a surprising finals run last year where they overperformed expectations, it feels like the regression is due. Um, they're of the 12 teams in the WNBA. I think they're a prime candidate for. Coming, coming back down off the mountain despite some insane talent on that roster. This is definitely one of those takes that I'm going to be kicking myself for later in the year. If they end up just dominating, they come out to like a 20 and two start. And I can, I can totally see that happening, right? Like if they come out on fire and they're competing for the commissioner's cup at midseason, I'll totally, we'll, I'll have Jason replay this take and then we'll laugh about it, right? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm comfortable with that. But as of now, uh, they're probably one of the more talented rosters on paper that I don't trust in the league. Um, I'd still consider them a fringe contender. But uh, as as the Twitch chat knows, and as you know, Steve, we were just talking about uh, before we hit record on this episode, there's probably five or six legitimate contenders this year that are kind of selling all in on a 2022 title. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Chicago's going to try to run it back before their team looks really different. Seattle knows they have one year left. Vegas and Connecticut have been close to the top of the mountain the last couple of years, but not all the way. They probably feel like change is imminent if they don't get it done soon. Vegas obviously went out and got a new head coach to that end. Um, you've also got your, your kind of routinely good teams like Phoenix who are always in the mix. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think if they didn't get it done last year, I don't know if this is going to be the year either, even with the addition of a big name player like Tina Charles. Uh, on top of that, I, I hope they get all-star Diamond of Shields because she's one of my favorite personalities in the league. But I really don't know how much that helps them in the long run. Uh, I know they re-signed Sophie Cunningham and did some other things for some consistency. But there's just I have so many question marks about that team and just a bad feeling that their overperformance in the playoffs last year is going to lead to some disappointing outcomes during the regular season this coming season. You know, it's interesting. I paid attention to the names you were calling off. I find this really intriguing because... Obviously, this weekend, the buzz is on Diamond and, and Tina. Um, I'm glad that you called out Sylvie Cunningham because I actually think it's going to be, she's going to be getting many equality minutes, uh, this year because if, depending on how consistently we're going to be able to see Diana Tarasi in the last couple of years, she's, she's been out in spurts. So, and she's shown to perform well in that position. She's shown to pair well with Sky in that position. But the thing that intrigues me is, you know, people will bring bring up Sophie a bit. Obviously, Diamond and Tina get a lot of, of that energy. What do I got to do to get people to talk about Kia Nurse? I, <laughs> I, I got to start paying people to talk about Kia Nurse. Like, I thought that getting Kia and, and Sophie back 
to me felt as impactful as their additional pickups because Tina is, is a good spot, but you know, is obviously a huge pickup. She was and for her level of experience. She played extremely well last season, but that's an interesting case with that front court of how do you maneuver? You've got obviously Greiner and Brianna Turner, a potential defensive player of the year, trying to figure all of that out. And diamonds, one of those cases of, if you have the recipe to wake her back up, that's a great pickup. Kia to me was definitely that case of if you could make those moves plus keep all-star Kia nurse on your roster to, to round out that starting five, you have something pretty, pretty solid. And I think the idea here is what's going to become a bit of a, a focus switch for this team is less reliance on the stars you've always leaned in and trying to even that load. That said, the one thing that kind of changes all this. And and I want to say like, I don't invalidate people's take on, on Vanessa Nygaard coming in as a first time coach. It doesn't worry me as much only to say that I think so many players that are on this roster have carried on a certain level of growth for different reasons over the last year that I like the maturity of this roster more than I've liked the maturity of a Phoenix roster in a while. And it starts with Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner may very well pick up her MVP this year and it will be deservedly. So like if she's willing, if she gets to that level, that's where Phoenix can, can really roll and roll extremely well. And I think you saw a renewed focus in sky found her groove. Sophie Cunningham, played really well on a lot of big stages. She had a huge game in the playoffs at one point. Um, and if, if that mojo d- dilutes well into the team and them coming together as a roster, I think coach Nygaard has a chance to really fall into something really well. Cause we've seen first time coaches flourish pretty well. You know, James Wade came in and performed really well. Nikki Collin had a two seed Atlanta team, what happened after the fact is notwithstanding, but you know, I, that's where this is intriguing. So I do feel good about Phoenix, but they're, they're the most wild card of any team I'm looking at in the league right now of, I could see them sneak in with a seven or eight spot. I could see them be right on the tails of a Connecticut, Chicago team and possibly steal a, a top three seed. Like they, they fit almost anywhere in that zeitgeist. There's just a lot more to be told there. Now, other teams that have made bigger transactions, I have very more directed opinions at that. This is one that it's like, I'm just the worst person to ask this question because I know they're going to play in in Phoenix that I can <laughs> pretty well feel confident saying like they'll play games there. Uh, and that's like as far as it goes for me. Well, we will shelve Phoenix. Uh, and we will talk about something a little bit more in your wheelhouse, Mr. Schwartzman. We're going to go over to Los Angeles because they've been busy as well. Let's first, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll knock both of these out, uh, just one after the other. First, you've got Ramona Shelburne reporting that free agent center Liz Gambage has verbally committed to play for the LA Sparks. Uh, she is expected to play, play with the LA Sparks, not just be on the, on the Sparks roster. Obviously, always a little bit of a question mark with Cambage, but an exciting destination for her in one of the few cities that we all kind of believe on the show she would be willing to play for. Additionally, uh, a major trade that I don't think anyone really saw coming, the Sparks uh, dealt Erica Wheeler, uh, this year's second round pick, number 15 overall, and their 2023 first round pick, all to acquire Kennedy Carter from the Atlanta Dream. Uh, Steve, buyer selling the LA Sparks stock after acquiring Liz Cambage and the and uh, and Kennedy Carter for for Wheeler, who is a star and and a couple of picks, I literally it's so funny. Uh, we have all these new jer- jerseys for this league, and I bought one. It's right there, and I'm selling this. I don't. <laughs> I just it doesn't vibe with me, and I think there's a lot about it because what they really have invested in is a lot of questions. That's like they, they walked into the end of the season with tons of questions and they've gone and invested in more questions. Um, obviously when the Cambage news came down, it was intriguing. It was exciting. 
I can't get over the word verbal there. Like I can't get over, you can sign like that's there that exists. So what is it? Are we waiting to get certain people in the room? Cause you want to turn it into a, like an event or is it, I told you, but like, give me a minute to sign. Cause maybe I'll change my mind. What is it there? Like it's a, this is, and it's, and it, by the way, this is great because this is the level of juice that free agency needs. I, I love that. It's this dramatic as hell. like, what does verbal mean? Like, why, why can't you just sign? You know, like, <laughs> I love that, you know, like it. And, and I'm good with that level of drama that works. Um, we haven't seen enough out of Kennedy Carter to know for certain her level of, of effectiveness and stardom. She had great moments in Atlanta. Then obviously all of the Atlanta happened. And so it'll be interesting to see where she bounces from there. So you get those two big questions. You have Katie Lou Samuelson, who for some reason, while she's played fairly consistently with each team has played with, I think, is this her fifth team in as many years or is it fourth? I think it's her fourth team in as many years. And uh, if not, like she maybe had slightly more than one year somewhere, but like, so it's that idea of like, is someone finally going to find the right role for Katie Lou Samuelson to contribute? And on top of all this, what's funny is like, we, we hardly even talk about Jordan, the, the Jordan Canada portion of this move, which is actually the, probably the move I liked the most when I looked at how they did this. That 2023 pick might haunt them for a long time. That like that, a long, yeah. I would like to talk long, about that. <laughs> long time. That move was very much like you. Derek Fisher must believe very, very, very much in Kennedy Carter and what she's going to contribute because these next two draft classes, like, like 20, 2023, like, oh. Where they sat, you know, barely missing the playoffs, if they end up at that position and they find themselves stumbling to like a top four spot in that draft, it just feels wrong. And and the Sparks have kind of become a little known for that of uh, like just making moves with picks that ended up biting them. Uh, obviously, I mean, they drafted NECA. Good for you. But like that's that's where this becomes very intriguing. And it becomes a scary situation of like, if like this better land this year, but I I get frustrated with whatever madhouse it is in that office in LA <laughs> because you went out of your way to pick up Gabby after all the drama in Chicago with Gabby Williams. You seem to use. Every piece of PR to say, like, we're investing in her. She's going to be a star here. She didn't scratch one minute on your roster in your uniform and you dealt her to Seattle. Uh, and like that kind of sticks with me. You went out of your way to pick up Erica Wheeler. You put a banner in downtown Los Angeles with her face, a huge banner, this awesome thing. She was so excited. She publicly talked about being treated like a star and getting that cool treatment. And then you, you moved her along. You moved this future move at the draft pick along. So I don't know if Los Angeles is buying this roster. So how can I buy it? Because who knows if they don't feel any good about, it. which is why like it's a, might be a proximity thing because you're, you share an arena with a, a Laker team that seems to be as panic button with mo roster moves as this. And so it's hard to tell. Now, the thing about it is like this mixture, if everyone plays like it looks like, Liz Cambage on the court, you're always going to get your value out of her. If Kennedy vibes well with her, like, yeah, there's a chance this blows up and looks great. And there's a chance that Coach Tolliver becomes Coach Tolliver halfway through the year and they get their mojo back. They're, you know, like, we haven't really seen what we want out of anything out of um, Araya Garantes yet. Lauren Cox, boom, we got half a season on this roster. Brittany freaking Sykes, who has been putting in potential defensive player of the year campaigns. Amanda Zowie B looked really good on the defensive end last year. There's pieces there. There's lots of great parts. I don't think they can build a sum out of it, though. I just don't trust that infrastructure to work with this, there, there's just something about like with Phoenix, something about adding a Tina Charles who has all that experience, who has, vet, you know, like that veteran mind can be, I just don't feel it in LA right now. So 
if that bites me in the tail and you see me come playoff time rocking my <laughs> my purple jersey and acting like this conversation never happened, so be it. <laughs> but that's how that's how it feels right now. Yeah, the Sparks have been maybe the most intriguing team of the offseason to me because you have to look at their moves holistically. And I want to touch on a point that you made just a minute ago, which is uh, I believe this Sparks team has been trying to position themselves to be an attractive destination in free agency 2023. They're going to have nobody on their books. They're going to have a million plus in cap space, and they're basically going to go around to everybody who's anybody in the WNBA and says, come here and come win a championship. We'll build the team that you want. Um, this Kennedy Carter trade was a wow for me. Um, this is trading Erica Wheeler, who was a bit of a, a known commodity, right? I mean, she, she had played a couple seasons in Atlanta and then she was in Indiana for four seasons, kind of just waiting for someone to pick her up and put her on a roster that was worth a darn. And then she went and averaged 13 a game, uh, as a, as a pretty effective shooter for, for a Sparks team that really wasn't supposed to go anywhere last year and surprised a lot of people. And then you trade her. For Kennedy Carter, who I've been very hard on since she was drafted, uh, a player who has played less than a full season of games. She's been in the league for two years. She's young. She's just 23, but she's played 27 total games. Um, she is an incredibly efficient shooter. She can hit from anywhere. Um, she can step out and hit threes occasionally. She did not do that for Atlanta last year well at all, but she did yeah. in her first season. I I believe in the scoring and talent of Kennedy Carter, but she is still, I mean, you, you've seen essentially like one total season from her and they sent away an all-star in Erica Wheeler and a second round pick and the 2023 first. And they netted a, a player in Carter who does have some personality question marks. And then in the Gabby Williams trade with Seattle, they acquired Katie Lou Samuelson and the number nine pick for this season. So they get one back for this year. That's, they'll be active way, in the draft in 2022. That to me is part of the problem. It's the question marks. It's not like I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, that was a bad move because she's not going to do well in L.A. It's it's every move comes with this level of uncertainty because there's some personality attitudinal issues with Courtney Williams. But if I'm Connecticut, I resigned her without a second's hesitation. That move made p- complete sense you know exactly what you're getting with her and you know where the value comes from. And I'm not saying Kennedy's a bad move here other to say like every single move they made came with these came with a ton of question marks. It's just like, can you make one move that just feels like, okay, that one, which is why like picking up Canada was kind of cool. Cause it's like, Oh, I like having a young point guard. That's solid. But are you going to do anything with it? Like, and it's Yeah. And and the, the the point I wanted to make with all of that is it, it seems to me like despite their constant positioning, like even the Liz Cambage move is like it's a one year deal, right? Like it if she wants to play here the rest of her career, great. If we never see her in an LA Sparks uniform after twenty twenty two, whatever. Like they are set to go after Stewie in twenty twenty three and every other free agent that Chicago's gonna have to let go. And basically everybody on a current team that isn't sure where they're going to be next year. We might see a sign and trade sort of deal with like a, a Jewel Lloyd, even though she's got a second year under contract with Seattle. Like I, I think the Sparks want to be flexible to do whatever they want. And now they've traded some of that flexibility away because it, it seems like they're really interested in what Kennedy Carter can bring in like a multi-year role with the team and being kind of a core with the Ogumake sisters and the other talent that they have there. And that's just interesting to me because she is largely unproven. A lot of her numbers went the wrong direction last season. That could have been because of some chemistry issues with the dream, but we don't know. And it just seems like a big gamble for a team that was already sort of just kind of in wait and see mode until 2023. Now that does make them a lot more interesting to watch this year. Um, and, and I'm not entirely convinced that because they're Los Angeles, maybe that was part of the plan was to just be, interesting and a story and worth paying attention to so that those, those future free agents kind of know what they're about. Yeah. But this is a team that could still be unrecognizable in, you know, an off season from now. And something tells me Kennedy Carter is still going to be there because of the level of investment they've already made in her to make that trade happen. Maybe I just, there's a lot of, there's just so much stuff they've invested in and just been willing to abort ship. Like it's really interesting because Everything you're saying is totally true. Like I, th- I think 
having the comfort of saying we're sitting on a lot of one year contracts so we can reassert what worked, what didn't take in what we can, and then see if we can go big on some other moves. My feeling on the matter is that means Derek Fisher has to turn to the main offices in some format and say, like, just give me till next year. And I think we're going to start finding like the right, right answers. But after the first, like after the first last two seasons where I feel like I could say Derek Fisher as a coach, very much underperformed. He, he underperformed a little, he, he performed a little better in 2020 and that he got to a conference final, but then just completely boneheaded his way out of making that work. That next season, they very well underperformed. And as a GM, he was magic as Lakers GM bad. Like he, he lost their generational star. He, you know, like there's been a lot of cases of like a pretty much all the moves you're making haven't quite fit. So can I trust you enough that you're even going to be here this time next year to cash in on all this? Because it's like, if, if he underperforms just as badly as this year or worse, can you honestly take him at his goodwill and keep him on another year to try to cash in on that? Or if he has another bad year as a coach and especially as a GM, do you cut bait and hope someone else steps in and picks it up? Like if, if Witherspoon, if Spoon's available, you know, next year and says, Hey, I can come in and be that coach. Like what do you, you know, what's the move? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm just thinking to myself here between the two teams that we've, we've touched on a lot in this episode so far, I, I find it more difficult to see Phoenix outpacing expectations. Like the Sparks have made all of these moves that are full of question marks. Katie Lou Samuelson's on like her third or fourth team in three or four years. You know, she's her rookie contract just keeps getting traded around. Jordan Canada's there. I'm not sure how she's going to fit in just yet. They do have some stars in the Ogumuke sisters. Kennedy Carter is someone who can get up to that. You know, maybe she can be, you know, a, a, like an Arike Ogumbawale and be like a 20 point a night scorer that isn't necessarily multidimensional, but still a great boost for a team that's got some other pieces around her. Maybe she is that. And maybe that's what the Sparks are banking on. It just, so what I thought was their plan is suddenly very much in a little bit of chaos now. And I, I do understand that dealing Erica Wheeler was a cap space clearing move in order to clear the room they needed for Liz Gambage. But acquiring Liz Cambage isn't necessarily a, a rock solid move for your future when you never know if she's even going to be on the continent I, when I just, WNBA season rolls around. The thing though is I look at that tweet that, that Ramona Shelburne tweet and I feel like there's an emotional investment where they're really trying to lock it down because they didn't wait till the signing. They, they, they announced it at a verbal and it's not a coincidence to me that that little line that Ramona snuck in of She's one of the league's most marketable players. That's not a coincidence yeah. to me. Whoever leaked yeah. that story to Shelburne was like, can you make sure that's mentioned? Cause I, I have a feeling that Liz will like hearing that. Like that will land well. So I think on an emotional now to your point, I still think it stands of them saying, we'll try again. I think the fact that they're going to be 12 teams courting Stewie, like it's one of those things if we know that that's going to be happening, but it's going to be interesting because if I know that's coming in 2023 uh, or after that, this next season, if I know that's coming and I'm a big time free agent and I'm thinking about going to the Sparks, I think I feel a little bit more excited if I know that they have a potential to land a solid draft pick that can take this journey to young level with me a little bit more than what they currently have in their roster. And who knows if they find success with a good chunk of what they have here, then that's all moot. But there's Boy. still, I again with with so many teams contending and kind of pushing the chips to the middle of the table this season. I feel like the Sparks can make the playoffs and exit in the first round and still be kind of happy with where they sit because they're going to go into the following off season with a lot of assets, even if they did trade their first round pick away. Uh, Phoenix, not so much. I think if they get bounced from the first round, there's going to be calls for the coach's head and who's going to retire and this thing with Tina Charles isn't working and it's going to be absolute chaos. Either way, I'm very excited um, because that's that's stuff that we get to talk about on the show. 
and it's fun either way for us. But we, you know, we want these teams to be successful. I know we've we've got two hosts at least that in their heart of hearts want to see an LA Sparks team be competitive uh, between between you and uh, and our producer Jason. So I mean, it would be fun, yeah. <laughs> uh, for for your sakes, I hope that these moves work out, and I also think they involve a lot of players that are going into years of their career that are kind of make or break. Um, at some point, I am going to drop the uh, Logan's picks for like third year breakout candidates. And even though it won't be her third year, I think I'm going to cheat and include Kitty Lou Samuelson on that list just because she keeps playing great overseas and in the Olympics. And then she plays in the WNBA and people are kind of unwowed by her. <laughs> well, I just, um, I, I don't even think it's that. I think it's, she's got the, that gene of a player who hasn't had enough time to invest in a team to feel immovable. And is valuable enough that she just works at at the center of any trade package. Like she just, like she she's always going to be on that high value list of like, oh, I think we can get really good value at. Like she's just in that weird mojo of like that seems to happen, and until she finds a place that she's going to land for. And Seattle felt like that could have been a place, and uh, you know, I that's where it gets, you know, a little unnerving on on that end but i mean we'll see how it goes i i think gabby in seattle is going to be actually is is a move that i think is going to be really exciting because i think they might have found a more potential sure fit not to replace sue bird because that's a stupid thing to say out loud but i think what what they're trying to do knowing sue birds on the way out gabby has a chance to fit it a little bit better than canada would have but uh, that's including the fact that she's going to be a full year. We haven't seen her in over a year, so that's a lot. But that that move actually, I felt really, I was excited to see that. Um, like some of those the the those big trades and the players we talk about, the offshoot versions of that were actually what really stood me up more. I like Wheeler in Atlanta a lot. Like absolutely, yeah. yeah I think that's actually like, an incredible trade for the dream after. You know, early in free agency, we were like, Atlanta, you got to do something like you are not yeah. landing any help. Um, that is that is a major, a major pickup for them. And I, you know, does it make them a contender? No. But does it help them set themselves up in the future to make plays for other good players? Of course it does. Yeah. Um, I think she's a player that everyone in the league would be happy to play with. Um, Seattle, too. I, I think the most interesting thing about all these offseason moves is it's teams trying to find the right fit for all of these role players around their current stars and next off season is going to be those stars are going to move. There's all this effort going into like surrounding your current star players with what they need to win you a ring before they all go Kawhi Leonard and, and depart. Like that's, that's how I feel about the Stewie contract. She's gone. Seattle fans. Like we'll talk about it more over the course of this year. This is it for Stewie in Seattle. As far as I'm concerned, that's, that's what a one year Supermax says to me. Because I think she's eyeing the New York Liberty and probably some other options as a potential second chapter of her career. And her, I think that's probably the case with more than just Stewie. Her like weird side by side, but like the, the name that commonly gets compared with her and, and someone I think she has a good connection with commonly wears their, like very frequently wears their shoes is Kevin Durant. And, and I say that to say legitimately there's a connection there and she wears like, like, the non-coincidence of the Shearer's Katie's all the time. And the fact that they're injured so much to that, we're like, it just feels like not necessarily, Oh, that New York is the sure bet, but like, I feel like she's learning that very much your value as a player, um, often can be as strong as how interesting your story is. And sometimes a great way to juice up your story is to find a new home. Like, and, and can Seattle find a way to build out that value and say, like, make your home here. This is where you started. I mean, possibly, but it's a different world. I think it's a different world now than when Sue was winning championships in her early years in Seattle. And it felt pretty much like a sure thing. She was going to be sticking around, uh, and, you know, I, they're, they're very much, I would say like a last dance style roster in that mm-hmm. if Seattle made a hellish run 
to a championship this year, which is not entirely out of the question. I don't think that changes anyone's mind if they're on their way out the door. No, I if, don't if, 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 if Jules somewhere trying to lobby for a sign and trade, if you have Stewie looking to move to New York, whatever it be, I don't think it changes anyone's mind. What happens happens. Like, it'll be like, Oh, that was a great way to go out kind of mentality. And so, you know, you think of the last dance with Chicago, Jerry Krause saying, I don't care if you win a championship, I'm blowing this team up next year. Like <laughs> it's kind of like that has potential to very much happen with Seattle. Yeah. Keep bearing in mind that there are probably a couple teams that while they're not planning on blowing the rosters up, they are kind of thinking this needs to be our year and things are going to change for us big time after this season. I think Minnesota's in that boat with Sylvia Fowles retiring after this coming season. Yes. Um, I, I think Connecticut and Vegas are in that boat. I, I think they already made a change in Vegas with their coaching change, but they, they will have to change something if they continue to fall short of a ring because they've just been so close so many times in a row. And that narrative carries a lot of weight in locker rooms and around the league. Um, and I, I think Phoenix is definitely one of those teams. And I have no idea what Phoenix is going to look like this time next year. Um, and that's half the league right there. That's all going to be vying for a championship in, in a way that to me makes it feel like the first weekend of the season, when we kick off this spring, it's going to feel like these teams are all going to feel like they're the team of destiny where like last year you had Chicago pick up Candace Parker and it was kind of obvious, like we're not the only good team. We might not even be the best team, but we feel like this is our year. Mm -hmm. Like they, everything had built to that season and they accomplished their goal. I think a lot of teams are going to paint themselves into being, being the heroes of that story this year. And only one's going to be able to take the crown. And it's, I think it's going to lead to some, probably a lot of really strong emotions and a lot of big moves in the following off season. Yeah. So that's a fun, uh, we're, we're going to discuss when we get closer to the season, kind of our, our favorites for, you know, biggest regression candidates, biggest overachievers. Our, our preseason predictions episode will be here before you know it. That always comes right after the draft. Um, obviously, we have a lot of college ball that's going to be played between now and then, which we're excited about. Uh, we've teed this, teased this on the pause pod once before. Um, I'm so excited I can't speak all of a sudden. Um, but we are going to do our darndest to get to the Women's Final Four in Minneapolis this year, uh, as, as many of the hosts as can uh, get away from work and, and families and other responsibilities, which I know is really difficult. Um, but we we are kind of expanding into into that area more and more because we enjoy looking at these players that are up and coming that we expect to see in the W before too long. Uh, and Steve, I know our group chat, uh, the, the WNBA Nation pod host group chat this week has been on fire with a couple a couple names uh, you might might have heard have had some big weeks. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on Please. those to kind of end the show because we, yeah. we like before, to talk as before we do told. that. <laughs> and, and I won't say anything after this. I just got to say big up Indiana. You got Bria Hartley. You got you some draft picks that you might do something with. Good for you. You did a thing. They answered the phone. That's, you that's the first step. A thing. And I like yes. Hartley. That's a, that's a solid player to pick up. Um, you probably are going to need a few more players to complete a roster. And I'm, I'm interested to see if you actually let any of these draft picks play more than three minutes a game, but you did a thing and, you know, go get some ice cream. <laughs> celebrate. Oh man. I, I almost, I love talking about Indiana, but I almost don't want to talk about them anymore until they give me something positive to say. Cause they make me feel like a bad person sometimes. Um, eh. with, <laughs> they kept them Cannon do, and Vivian's and I love those are both. We, really like. So there's stuff. We will, Let's we talk will touch on almost almost a big finish style. We will touch on uh, two. I think the, the two biggest names in college basketball this year, as far as uh, the season is concerned. I know Paige Beckers is going to make her return before the March Madness tournament, but you've got Aaliyah Boston leading a South Carolina team right now. That's twenty one and one. They are the unanimous number one team in the country. They look destined for another deep run, if not a championship. Uh, Stanford, obviously, right behind again as a very talented team. Michigan making a push towards the top. NC State falling out of the top four, but still towards the top. But that South Carolina, Leah Boston-led team is getting a lot of headlines, but almost not as many headlines as an Iowa team that is clinging to their top 25 ranking behind heroic efforts from Caitlin Clark. Steve, when it comes to these two players, between between Clark and Leah Boston, I think we both are in agreement as to who we would rather have a roster like 
built around. But in terms of sheer enjoyment, <laughs> uh, it, it's pretty close. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on both of these players and just if, if you're a WNBA fan, you're not paying attention to the college game, what you might get out of watching both of these phenoms play basketball. I almost feel weird playing comparisons with either of these because taking one, saying one over the other in any way makes it sound like I'm down on the other player. And that's absolutely ridiculous. But I think the consistency that we've seen Aaliyah Boston come in and not only just rake in these double doubles, but also doing them in consistent sound winning efforts. She has become the full lifeblood of that roster. And, and by the way, I love that this comes off like, there's something about that mental stamina, how she ended last year and watching her just dominate at that level with that level of consistency is fantastic. That said, Caitlin Clark averaged a cool 38 and 10 last week. <laughs> Average yeah. last week. One yeah. of those, a plus 40 triple double effort. I mean, it goes like this. The argument for Aaliyah Boston being the best player in the country is there. In fact, I probably am just going to say it. She she is. I think I think Aaliyah Boston at her best is an unbeatable South Carolina. If she's clicked, I don't know that there's a chance for any team. And that includes, in my opinion, uh, like a full staffed UConn team. I think I think South Carolina is that good if Aaliyah Boston is is playing untouchable. Um. I think Caitlin Clark is the most must-see player we've seen in quite a while. It's become, and I'm not just saying that because ESPN and John Boy and Fox are picking her up and talking about her. Dan Patrick's talking about her. I'm not, it's not even really that it's the mere fact that she is one. I mean, putting up the place she is shooting from the logo, doing all that cool stuff, but that no deficit is safe in Iowa because if she catches some Tinder, like it's, it's moving and like it, there's, there's a chance. And that's what made, you know, the most recent game against Michigan, all the more interesting, you know, you've hit the mainstream zeitgeist when everyone's sharing your highlight reels, everyone's sharing these insane numbers. Everyone's talking about what a legend you are. And that the last thing that seems to get brought up is by the way, Michigan won that game. Like it, that's the problem. No one realizes, no one realizes uh, like, like that's where it is. Is like she's getting that buzz, and I think that plays really well to her. Where you switch that over with Leah Boston is obviously South Carolina is stacked at a level that's incomparable, you know, in I with Iowa's situation. But like Leah Boston is the life, the pure lifeblood, the A one sole reason that they're playing that dominantly because she's playing with consistency at both ends of the floor. She's the best player in the league right now. But what Caitlin Clark is doing to increase her stock, we had a question a couple weeks ago, uh, a few weeks ago, when you and I were doing this the same episode on a Monday night, doing Q&A stuff, and someone had asked, you know, what's Caitlin Clark's expectation in comparison to, like, they brought the Kelsey Plum comparison. Like, where do you expect to see that? And in my head, I go, like, like the draft stock's only gone up. Her ability to perform at a high level, at the professional level, I think only increases. I think it's definitely there. Um, what's funny is we made those similar comments to that a couple weeks ago and we randomly got one on our YouTube clip, got like one dude giving us a super fun, angry comment. And he, he's, he gave me a phrase. That is my new motto for this year's college basketball season. That every time Caitlin Clark does a Caitlin Clark thing, I send to you guys. Do you know what that phrase is? Logan? Yeah. It's you like to talk. You like to talk. All caps. Every yeah. time that dude, that dude yeah. like sent us a stream of f bombs, and then just you like to talk. And my first response is, <laughs> "Well, we're a podcast, so yeah." <laughs> but every the way, time, that, if, if you... she drops, she drops one from the logo. If she's going forty-one in ten and ten, every time I get in chat, I'm like, "You like to talk." If, like, if you didn't listen to that episode and you don't want to look up the YouTube clip, I I want people to know that we not only are we big fans of Clark on this show, but I don't think a comparison to Kelsey Plum is necessarily a bad thing. I, could, I think Kelsey Plum's having a fine NBA yeah. career. Yeah, exactly. So, but um, also, but like, do, she's she's going to be probably a top two pick, whatever year she goes. I think she'll be a focal point offensively for whatever team she goes to, and that's only proving itself more and more. I just. She did the Jordan shrug. Like this year, this was just a fun. <laughs> <laughs>
week to be Caitlin Clark. And like, yes, like it hasn't translated to wins as well, but like Aaliyah Boston will get a legendary shine when she's dominating on her way to a final four. And this is that one week where it's just like, <laughs> it's just been fun. Like, and I, I think, I think you are absolutely right. That's, that's exactly where I was going to go is I, I know Aaliyah Boston will get her flowers. She's averaging 17 and 12. She's the best player on the best team. It, it just like, I, I know her time should be this whole season and her time is coming and, and we should probably talk about her more because she 100%. is going 100%. to be an impact. She's a six, five forward. Who's going to make an impact in the WNBA. But, and I, and I hate that I'm about to do this because I, this is the only, the only comparison I want to make is the mania surrounding Caitlin Clark, because I in no way think that she is the same as this player. But it reminds me of the Jimmer Fredette March. It reminds me of the hubbub that was like, you got to watch this player. Like, even, like whether you're a basketball fan or not, you just got to like you mentioned, like she's kind of breached beyond like the normal accounts that follow WNBA and, and college basketball. And like John Boy Media is tweeting her, Jay Billis who is much smarter than I am has recognized her as the best like shooter and most exciting player to watch in college who's male or female. That's a big, like that's a big get to get someone like tweeting. Like this is the best shooter. In I was, and I, I realized that shouldn't matter, yeah. but, but to an extent, at least to me, like it, it makes my heart happy to see people that I follow for sports who don't normally engage with this type of content, taking notice and being like, Yo, she just pulled up from the logo for no reason. To, like, like you got to watch this player to tie into uh, other, you know, craze level players we've seen in the women in women's college sports over the last few years. Is that she's hitting Arike shots and she's putting in Sabrina Ionescu numbers? That's what's been exciting. She, yeah, she now, leads the nation in scoring and assists. Yeah, which is Aaliyah Boston. Has been winning basketball games. She's been, yeah, which she, which she's yeah. prime for hardware. She's looking at that Asia Wilson statue and saying, there's plenty of space for another one. Like, and, and, uh, that's, that's what gets you bronze statues is championships. And so it's, that's where it's interesting. Now, my question for you is, is this, does this level of hype maintain? I can't believe it. people are going to hate me for asking this. And then some people are going to hate, like that it's asked, but I hate the answers. Does the same level of hype exist right now if there's a healthy page backers also playing? Uh, maybe. I think this week, yes. I I know I know Paige would be when getting you a lot average, more headlines. When you almost average forty points in three games, yeah, it's really that's, hard. That's know. the thing. I think this week, if you didn't already know Caitlin Clark's name, suddenly she's kind of exploded into your consciousness and is a really exciting player to watch until she loses in the round of, you know, the sweet 16, <laughs> you know, but Aaliyah Boston. I mean, you know how I've, I, and I, sorry, I keep making the comparison to male players, but you know how I feel about Carmelo Anthony, which is that I don't care how much he, like how many numbers he puts up everywhere he plays. None of his teams ever win. He's a really frustrating player to hear people talk about. Oh, he's a surefire first ballot tippy top Hall of Fame player because having watched him play for several different teams in the NBA, he just he doesn't win. He gets a lot of numbers on a bad team. And so I I don't want to ignore the fact that Aaliyah Boston's success and production leads to South Carolina being the most dominant team in the country. And I, I do think that that needs to be more of a story as well as just generally the top four teams in the country right now in women's basketball now includes Michigan and Stanford and Louisville, who have been there basically the whole season. Michigan cracking into that top four is really fun for me because I'm on record as saying that I do not trust that team. Uh, so when, yeah. you know, if they're a number one seed come tournament time, my bracket is going to have some hard choices to make. And, and by the way, that's what adds more to the intrigue of the software class. We, we've barely had a chance to talk about Haley Van Lith. She's having a Oh my gosh! Like it's one of those pod. Yeah, like it's 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 one of those setups of just this whole uh, years is is full of those stories and those players. That's what makes it fun. Which is why, by the way, I just like when (laughs) we've had all this excitement, we've seen all this moving around. 
when we get Paige Beckers back in full strength, and and I'm of that belief, like I would wait till conference tournament to even put her on the court. Why not? If you, you're winning games by 20 right now. What's the, you know? But in my head, like the night that they reengage that, knowing that all of this hype is happening with all these players, all these other stories, like Paige and Azzy Fudd need to walk out to like the NWO theme song <laughs> that night. Like it's like in case you guys forgot, like who runs the show because. As you had, had a quote recently, she didn't interview where she was like, prepare for a nasty team when everyone's healthy. Like this isn't going to be one of those. I'll give them time to melt the mesh. Like she's confident. Like we're going to break things when this team's healthy. Like don't, I, I don't care where we get yeah. ranked. We're going to be in good. And I just this, these are the storylines that we need. Like Marvel level heroes are like being built and then there's just like that Thanos complex in stores that's like any second now we're we're ready to make this happen and it just like I, ha- I we are primed for potentially the most exciting March Madness we've potentially ever seen because it's so chock full of characters and I don't mean characters like they have personalities and they're interesting or wacky or whatever to say but like no, we're like we're telling a superhero story, a Marvel story, and the characters are being formed. And we're going to have so many of those stories coming together for the tournament this year. It's going to yeah. be bonkers. Yeah. It feels like uh, and and one more comparison to the men's tournament just because he's really relevant right now, but it feels like remember that year where John Morant introduced himself to the country in the tournament and everyone was like, "Oh, yeah." Okay, so like he's going to go to the NBA and be an all-star, and we all just knew that. The, this women's tournament has the potential for like half the teams in the tournament to introduce you to a player you're going to know, and that's not including Kentucky because Ryan Howard and Kentucky might not even make the tournament, <laughs> which is really sad. Yeah. So it'll be the yeah, second year in a row where like the potential top pick has really not been that solid. You know, like well, yeah, Texas was decent last year, but. Yeah, there's almost a like like having UConn's star player, like household name player, be out for some of the season has almost cleared headline space for some of these other players to get an edge in. And then you're right, I, I do expect uh, Paige to come back to LL Cool J's. Don't call it a comeback the first time. Yeah, and it's just like the, the edge, <laughs> I think. Um, first of all, she is one of the most entertaining athletes still in the universe, not even playing. Uh, her being the best teammate on a team that she's currently not able to play for because she's hurt has been pretty insane. Like just her level of support and, and how she's shown herself actually have learned a lot about like her mental stamina is insanely strong. That's like the egg. My stock in her actually went up a lot being like, I think that there's a potential to live up to that hype and good for her with all that being told. But it's interesting because you brought John Morant. That's like the last, last men's tournament. I really paid any decent amount of attention to. And I think a lot about the two names I remember from that period are John Morant and Fletcher McGee. Like I barely remember anyone else who played that tournament. And I mainly remember Fletcher McGee because his name's Fletcher McGee. And I, that's where it's going to be interesting here where often, at least on the mainstream zeitgeist, the women's tournament comes down to two to three names that tend to get bandied about. And I feel like every team of note has like a story. This is really going to be something insane. And it reminds me of what we should have experienced in 2020. We were going to get a very unreal 2020 tournament that got stolen from us. And I think the payoff to this is going to be exciting, but right now it's just, this was a fun week. And you know, the, the buzz with, with Clark has been fun to see. Um, but what it comes down to is like Iowa needs to start turning this into wins. Like we need to start seeing how she completes a close victory because Boston has shown how she could do. She trial and errored that in the title game last year and, and what happened to happen or in the final four last year and what happened to happen. She's now shown her acuity to make that happen. And that's that's the one gene that I right now would say, like, we need to see that. You know, we've seen a few late game heroics out of Clark, but let's now that the the eyes are very much on her. That's the next thing we need to see her ability to turn the clock there. And by the way, I have to completely strike your Jimmer comparison, mainly because I've seen Caitlin Clark play defense. 
I've seen Caitlin Clark get an assist. Just so just the just the hype. Just the hype part, not the player part. He didn't even go <laughs> Tebow with it? Like it uh, I guess that would have been an okay. You know, that happened when I was like on on a church service mission. I I wasn't around for Tebow yeah. Mania. I'm still just, sad that I missed it. Um but you know yeah, I, I mean I really yeah. do want to congratulate Iowa and, and Caitlin Clark on on really a kind of shattering uh, a lot of just just making a lot of headlines this week, despite I know they lost to, to number four Michigan. I guess they were then number six Michigan. But they lost with two starters out. And they only they had lost seven with two starters players. out. And they did make a, a very hefty comp. I mean, they, they made that game interesting late yeah. when they'll, they were they'll down, play them again at home. At the end of February they they play them again at home, and that, that might be a must watch. I hope they get that win. And and yeah. credit to Michigan for getting the win. I know they feel overlooked in all of these comments going around about Caitlin Clark. But no. that's a yeah. When when a player is uh averaging like forty and ten, uh we're probably gonna talk about her on the pod because that's and dropped even, she dropped a even, triple double in that stretch. She still has yeah. six plus rebounds. It's a fun it's, week. I'm sorry. It yeah, it's such a like it's such a fun story when I, I was nervous. I always get nervous when I click on tweets that are talking about women's basketball that normally you do not, because I know within three comments, I'm going to see a triple comment saying it's not a sport, right? Like a hundred percent of the time that happens. And I was so pleased clicking on comments this week of Caitlin Clark highlights and seeing, you know, nine out of 10 at least would be like, yeah, she's a baller. Like, yeah, like that is a deep, deep three. <laughs> like, yeah. There's, there's no denying it. <laughs> I, I saw someone tweet, probably my favorite reaction to this was someone was saying that like everyone had a Caitlin Clark who lived on their street who would just go out into their driveway and just drill jump or jump shots after school every day. And I just love knowing that all of those girls are currently high fiving whoever they're with right now watching Caitlin <laughs> Clark. Like just like that it's it's that idea of uh you know, just, just kind of that start in there. And my hope is that this bleeds into women's coverage in general and those stories continue to get told. But I also just really want Iowa to reward this with a win with a, with a yes, key win. Yes. But I do. <laughs> I, I, really I don't know like, why I can't shake. Maybe it's because this is the frustration I have with the men's side of basketball is, is, is like fans, especially shallower fans get so hard into numbers and stat lines and look what Russ did and look what Harden did. I was going to And no one Russ. wants to say like, they lost though. Like, oh, he dropped he you know, he dropped fifty-eight points and he had twelve rebounds and, and his efficiency score was a plus negative omega. And I'm like, but they lost. Why does no one seem to care that teams win or lose? I that's as a Los Angeles Lakers fan my whole life and taking on Russ Westbrook and everyone's like, oh, but this guy, look what his efficiency and he's the triple double king and he's going to be so good. And he's never had a convincing playoff run his whole career. And no. I don't, yeah. that's not Caitlin Clark for the record. It's just that frustration, that old crotchety frustration in me makes it that I can't shake. Like I need one person to point out the Michigan won that game. That's it. Just make that point other yeah, and then I do. celebrate the Caitlin Clark stuff all you want because she's done. Uh, I agree because I, I get frustrated when, I mean, Westbrook's a good example. He won an MVP because the narrative all year for the media was he's averaging triple-double, triple-double this, triple-double that. But his team wasn't that good, and he didn't make his team better. And and it was frustrating because, it, you know, Damian Lillard owned him in the playoffs, and yeah. people only seemed to care for like a day. And speaking of, and, and speaking of too, like you got to make your teammates better, and – you know how the hell you can make a teammates better is by, is by practice. Leading, leading the country but, in assists is one way. Yeah. <laughs> there you have it. Um, but I, I do think that there is a comment in the chat just now from Justin Blue saying people are fans of players now, not teams. And I think that point coincides with something that I've felt strongly about. Every, every time one of these highlights makes the rounds and it breaks out of like not just the ESPNW account, but like the ESPN stats and info account starts perpetuating Caitlin Clark highlights, and Leah Boston highlights and Haley Van Lith highlights. When that happens, the people that comment who cares, not a sport just look progressively dumber because, because it has that energy of like, you're going to look at me and tell me that's not an athlete. Like the average person who, who doesn't even care particularly strongly about women's basketball can tell you like, well, obviously like obviously. Well, and that's the thing is like athlete. one, one, then 
if if that's your take, right? Like, oh, it's not they're not like real basketball players though. Okay, cool. Say goodbye to Steph Curry. Say goodbye to Clay Thompson. <laughs> say goodbye to all these stars that you love because you continue to act like all that matters is your ability to dunk from the free throw line as if the most marketable action in the NBA for the past decade hasn't been the ability to hit a jump shot. Like that's that's been like dunks are neat for some highlight reels, but legitimately making shots has made more highlight reels. Like that's that's one side of it. I think the other thing that always like ties my my interest in this is especially with this Caitlin Clark tick. She recently put in uh, a stat line that they made a list of like the only players in basketball period to put in the stat line. And it was something like, it was like Kobe and Giannis and like Hakeem. I forget the list. And then Caitlin Clark was like four players and Caitlin Clark made that list. And some people are like, Oh, it's a joke that she's even on this list. Okay. If it's, it's ridiculous that like a woman would make this list or you don't think it's that big of a deal. How come only three men have done it? Only three men have done it in that time. And, that still like you you can't not respect the accolade i the sabrina inescu numbers with the the amount of triple double she put in in college and people joking about like oh we're just going to talk about a woman because she got 17 triple doubles yes because no one else has no one nobody i don't care what obscure college player you loved the most they didn't do it she did those are numbers you can't ignore like just the rim's 10 feet. It's going to be 10 feet. And with a 10-foot rim, she did that. And no one else has. You get to have that. Caitlin Clark has put in numbers that you are comparing across all other players. And when other people are saying, like, that's the most exciting player on the court, male or female, I, you just got to let that happen. Plus, yeah. as a little show plug, if you do need a re- uh, additional reasons to take out these trolls who are doing this just to be ridiculous, go ahead and listen to my interview with Dave Barry at Wages Wins on Twitter. Uh, we talked a little bit about the $75 million uh, raise or endowment raise. My brain just shot up capital raise. And he not only gave me an amazing course in the world of sports economics, but he pretty much filled out the card that shuts down every troll take possible just with simple facts and figures. So I'm cutting myself You're, off with that plug. That, that, episode that episode gave me a, I, I, I wonder if we can find a sounder if we're even allowed to use it, but I listened to that episode and I kept thinking of the, uh, you're going to look at me and tell me I'm wrong. Like, <laughs> the wicked like witch that's the energy bro. That so uh, that's it for today's, uh, that's it for today's Caitlin Clark college basketball corner. But I am very excited for this year's tournament, um, particularly for the Aaliyah Boston led South Carolina and several other teams that are headlined by players that we like a lot. Uh, players that, uh, oh yeah, there's, there was one stat that I was going to give you before we wrap this up. And that's that two of Caitlin's best three games this season have come against uh, ranked opponents. So when the, when the lights are brightest, that's uh, a she good, shows that's up. A, that is, that's, that's a good that's indicator. A very, that's a very good take that refutes some of the things I've said. And I'll admit that that's actually, that's, really I, good yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped to see just how far um, these teams can go in March, especially, you know, those, the Iowa team is not going to get the best seed in the world compared to some of our other uh, tournament favorites. And obviously the four of us hosts are going to fill out brackets and hopefully all of WMA nation fills out brackets because we will be running our bracket pool uh, again this year. I'm very excited. This is the first time we've plugged that in a year. Um, And obviously we didn't get to do it in 2020, which was super sad. So um, I'll have to keep remembering to to put that at the end of the show because we are going to be doing that. So yep. um, be on the lookout for more information coming later. But that's that's a really fun time, and we're excited that we kind of get to fill this WNBA off season time with more college coverage. So thanks for sticking with us through that, um, Steve. Any final takes before we get out of here? We're going to tidy it up in in roughly an hour long episode here, you, uh, you, and we'll go see how the hockey game's going. You've just got me on a. A tangent because you talked about the Wicked Witch of the East video guy, which is still as funny now as it was when it first arrived. So I've got to say, in comparison to it, we talk so much about Michigan not getting any credit for winning the basketball game with Caitlin Clark. They are right now literally Elmo screaming about Rocco. Like, <laughs> that is like, it's just like Rocco is Iowa. Maybe you could say Zoe is, is Caitlin Clark. And they're just like, 
just like tell us how how they're the story. Tell Elmo. <laughs> like 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 Caitlin Clark didn't win the basketball game. Like Caitlin Clark's not doesn't play for Michigan. Caitlin well, Caitlin Clark is alive. I can't end with that. But Rocco's not alive because he's a rock. And that's my my take. I watch that Elmo clip once a week just to feel all right thanks uh thanks for sticking with us listeners Absolutely. through all of this this was a fun episode obviously more free agency news college happenings and wnba info will be coming out yes. uh, we will have another episode out for you real soon if you want to be a uh, part of the show and comment and join us and have your questions answered you can join us at twitch.tv slash wnba nation we'll be recording a wednesday night episode here coming up uh so if you want to be a part of that Feel free to jump on. Um, that'll be a... I don't know who's going to be on that episode, but um, whoever Someone it is, will. it's going to be... They'll be there. It'll be fun. So, <laughs> um, Thanks again so much for joining us. Uh, for WNBA Nation, I'm Logan Jones. I'm Steve Schwartzman. And we got you next time.